Oh, man. Isn't that awesome? I just had this thought as I was watching that. Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I, from certain um, types of people in my world in this political season, I've gotten some feedback from maybe some people that have a different perspective than me, and they say, well, what do you Christians even do other than talk about voting for life? And I just thought to myself, I am so glad that we're sowing into this ministry because this is a good way to put our money where our vote is. Amen? This is a ministry that is fighting for life and providing opportunities other than abortion. And so I'm excited to give my money towards that. Amen? Okay, we got a lot to cover today. Uh, we're starting this series called Joy in Chains. It's all about Philippians. Anybody reading through Philippians with us this week? Yeah, some folks, if you, if you haven't started yet, you're not super far behind. We've got little bookmarks that we're gonna give you on the way out. We wanna invite you, we're reading all the way through Philippians over the next three weeks. It, it's a short book. And so let me just lay the foundation. I need to establish like what's going on as we jump into this book. And then I've got a, I'm gonna read the chapter and then I got a specific area that I feel like the Lord wants me to preach towards and I don't have a lot of time. So if you just bear with me, but here's this scenario. And by the way, as I was thinking this through and restudying this through, I just was struck yet again that the, the scripture is so full of excitement and so full of life and so full of drama. And you know, Hollywood movies are one thing, but the Bible is a whole nother thing. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you want some, I mean, read the Bible. It's got more than you think that it has. I mean, some of those movies ain't got nothing on Song of Songs, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So, okay, so this is what happened. Acts chapter 16. Paul and some dudes are rolling around the Middle East, and they've given their entire life to preaching the gospel of Jesus. They're just going everywhere that the Holy Spirit leads them to go to tell anybody that's willing to listen all about the good news of Jesus Christ. And then this really weird thing happens in Acts 16. I've never seen it happen before. It says that the Holy Spirit stopped them from going and preaching in Asia. And then it, it says the same thing again, which anytime something is repeated, it's like, it's like really important. It says, then it says, the spirit of Jesus hindered them and would not let them go to that place. And then just after that, Paul sees in a vision, a man from Macedonia calling out to him saying, come and tell us about God. And so immediately they knew that the Lord was calling them to an area just north of Greece called Macedonia. This is the area that you'd find the city called Philippi. And so they, they take off and they go up there and they immediately start looking for the place of prayer. And so they go down to the river and they find a group, a group of ladies down there and they just start preaching the gospel. And one businesswoman by the name of Lydia listened to them, gave her life to Jesus and absolutely was converted and said, you have to come stay at my house. This is incredible news. And so they stay in Philippi for a couple days and they're preaching and they're telling the good news. And then this crazy demon-possessed girl is following them, and this is so weird. The demon-possessed girl, instead of saying blasphemous things, she was saying, these men are men of the most high God. Listen to them. It's so weird. She's filled with a demon, and yet she's still speaking the truth. But Paul was getting annoyed by it, so he just cast out the demon. And then the owners, like, they were super mad about it because she made them money through her fortune telling. And so they basically arrest Paul and Timothy. They throw them in jail, and they beat them, and they put them in the middle in the inner, inner jail cell. And you might remember the story around midnight. They start singing hymns. They start praising God because it doesn't matter what their circumstance is. They're full of joy because of the gospel in them. And then all of a sudden, all the doors open. 
And the jailer's about ready to kill himself because he thinks that everybody's gonna escape. And they're like, hey, don't do that, don't do that, we're all here. And immediately, he, he's like so blown away by the, the message that they're, not only that they're preaching about, but they're living. And he takes them that very night out of the jail to his household, cleans their wounds, and everybody in his household gets saved and is baptized. This is how the church in Philippi gets started. This is the backstory. 12 years later, Paul finds himself in another jail, this time in prison in Rome. And so this letter that we're reading is his letter writing back to that church that he founded in that way. That's the backstory. Y'all with me? Okay. Now I wrestled with this, what we're going to do, but I just thought I'd rather read more of the Bible than less. And I know what it's like to kind of, there's a lot that's being read and so you kind of tune out. But I just thought, can I just invite you? Can we just read the whole chapter? And if you just don't listen to anything else I say, just listen to this. Is that, is that okay? So why don't you, if you're able, just stand to your feet to honor the word. If you have a Bible, turn there. You're not going to see it on the screen. I, I'm just going to read it out of this paper version. And if you have one in, in your hand, that'd be great if you, if you look at it with your own eyes too. But... You're going to hear the word. We're going to read the whole chapter, chapter one, and then I do feel that there's a specific area that I'm to preach towards today, but this is what it says. This is Paul writing from jail, and I want you to notice the tone of his voice. I want you to notice the joy that's coming out of him, and I want you to specifically notice the things that he values. He's not going to maybe just say it, but notice the things that he values, whether it's people, whether it's a situation, whether it's an outcome, whatever it might be. 13 times in this small letter, he references joy and rejoicing. He says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a standard Pauline greeting to the church. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're wondering, why is this thing going so slow? Why am I not succeeding yet? Why am I not abounding in my faith? God is gonna finish the work that he started in you. Don't give up, he is with you. He's not gonna leave you or forsake you. He's always with you. He's still working that grace in you. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that, you gotta notice anytime the writers add that term, so that. It's as if they're saying whatever comes on the front end of this is what needs to happen in order that the back end of this is what God's goal is, okay? So I always pay attention when I see a so that. Then I gotta find my place. (laughs) With all knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure 
and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking that they're going to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, all of this, my chains, my, my, my situation, it's going to turn out for my deliverance as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but that I will be full of courage now as always, uh, now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about that perspective. He's like, I don't care if I die. If I die, I'm with Christ. If I live, it's for Christ. It doesn't matter. You think he was telling the truth? If I'm to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, what I actually want is to depart and be with Christ. It's better by far. But it's better for you that I remain. It's more necessary for you that I remain. And so I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to me. Oh, what a privilege it is for me. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now you hear I still have. Isn't that a good letter? Good first chapter. Lord, we thank you for the example and the truths and the joy that's found in this letter. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that there's so much in this, this chapter that even as we dive into one specific area, that you would illuminate in each one of our hearts what you want for us. We open our ears to you, Holy Spirit, and we say, have your way in us, through us. Whether you want to encourage or correct or rebuke or challenge or whatever you want to do, we know that what you want to do is good and it's good for us. And so we welcome it with joy and we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can grab a seat. Thank you so much. I don't know if you ever heard about what happened in Zimbabwe in the early 2000s. But Zimbabwe went through one of the highest inflation crises in all of history. I don't know if you can see this or if we can get a shot on this, but this is a real bill. This is $10 trillion. $10 trillion. It's almost the biggest bill that they came out with. They actually had a $100 trillion bill. The inflation rate that they went through was so astronomical that at one point in time, the percentage of inflation in one month 
was 80 billion percent month over month. It got so bad that, that like a soda machine literally couldn't hold all the coins that it would take to buy one can of soda. And so it just stopped working. Like the food on the shelves was gone. Everybody had no money. They wake up in the morning and they would go to the ATM and wait for hours just to try and get a few dollars. I mean, it was, it was, it absolutely destroyed the nation because when the, when the expressed value on the outside doesn't match the actual worth that it represents, it's detrimental towards the system. When the expressed value on the outside doesn't accurately represent its worth, it's detrimental. I want to talk to you about worth today. I want to talk to you about what happens when something isn't receiving or isn't the outward expression isn't the same as the actual inherent value. You know, maybe a, a financial advisor could have gone into Zimbabwe in 2008 and made some corrections. Said, hey, this is gonna be a big problem if you keep going like this. We have to make a change right now. And finally, they had to make a change. They discontinued their currency and started a whole new direction because the nation was totally broken. In many ways, I wanna introduce this thought to you that, that Paul's coming to Philippi not as a financial advisor, but a spiritual advisor, not making sure that the numbers on the bills are accurate representations of their currency, but he's inviting them to make sure that the numbers on their lives are an accurate representation of the worth of the kingdom. So I wanna focus on one specific verse. If you could go to Philippians 1.27 with me. This is what Paul writes after, after talking about how he's, he was with them and he he planted this church and now he's in prison and, and even talking about how I pray, with, I pray for you every time I remember you in joy. And, but guess what? I'm in jail right now, but I'm still full of joy because the value that I have for the kingdom of God is worth more than my comfort. And, and the fact that I'm in chains right now is actually better for the gospel. And after saying all of this stuff, he says this to them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, so that whether I come to you, which I hope to do, whether I come to you or whether I don't make it to you, it doesn't really matter whether I hear about you, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so I wanna look at just a few of these words. If we go to this next slide, I wanna look at a few of these words in this passage and I think that the Lord really has something for us. This word only. Your version might say, nevertheless, or whatever happens, or first things first, only. After, after everything that's going on, you know, he could, he could be saying, hey, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a tough situation right now. Can you guys please pray? Pray for me that I'll be delivered from this. Can you guys please start picketing outside the prison and, you know, s s start a protest? We know what protests do. Can you start a protest for me? Because I don't deserve to be in here right now. I should be out of this jail right now. But he doesn't say any of that. His primary concern, his main concern, the only thing that he's interested in in this moment is that they would live a life worthy of the gospel. So let's look at the second word. This whole term right here, let your manner of life be, that's one word. And I actually didn't know what this word was until this week, and because I saw what it is, I just felt like we have to look at this. 
because the Lord dropped this passage on us at all particular seasons, of all seasons. This is the word right here in the Greek. Pale tu It's derived from the word polites, which is where we get our word politics. This is the root word. And what it means is to be a citizen of, to be governed by, and to conduct one's life in according, according to the constitution of. It's actually the same word that you remember in, that we'll probably hear in a few weeks from uh, Philippians 3 verse 20 that say, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Same word, same root. So he says, only let the way that you operate as a citizen of what your, what your constitution is, what it is that guides and rules and directs your life, only let your manner of life, only let everything that, that you are guided by and the way that you operate be, let's look at that third word, worthy, worthy of the gospel. Now, that's a scary word. And I need to clarify this word because it's, it can be very misunderstood in the church and in Christendom. This word does not mean that you need to accomplish some form of holiness or piety or legalistic righteousness in order to earn something. What it does mean is that now that you've been given something, you're going to make the decision to respond in a way that is an appropriate representation of what you already have. This is very important. Next slide. It does not mean deserving of in order to earn. It means representative of by way of response. I have to make this clear, especially for anybody in the room that's not currently a Jesus follower, or maybe you're young in your faith, or maybe you've misunderstood this your whole life and you've been in church and you've been operating in legalism. Is, this is a very, very important distinction, and there's a, there's, it's, very, uh, it's a gray line. What we believe and what the gospel teaches us is this, that there is nothing that we can do to earn our position with God. It is a free gift that he's given us through Jesus. It's a gift of grace that is a gift that we don't deserve. And the way that we receive this free gift is by faith. So, so the truth of the gospel is this, that we were separated from him, but because of his great love for us, he has offered to us free of charge by his grace and his mercy. He's offered to us life. We, you could put it like this, we in and of ourselves, we don't have to be worthy of it because indeed we cannot be. This is very important to get. You and I are unable, apart from God, to be worthy of this gift. It doesn't matter how moral you are. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how, you know, compared to your friends or compared to Hitler or compared to whatever, none of us are good enough in our own ability to be worthy of God's kingdom. So what he's not saying here is, if you wanna be saved, if you wanna be, have the kingdom of God, you need to be worthy of it, deserving of it. No, no, no. The message is this, 
None of us were deserving and God has gifted it to us by grace. We've received it in faith. But now that we're there in that place, we have the opportunity to respond to the gift that's been given to us. That our lives would be an appropriate representation of this good news. Here it is. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I just have to ask you, in this season, is your life a worthy representation of the good news of Jesus? I'm not asking you out of legalism. I'm not asking you to put shame on you. I'm asking you not to call you out. I'm asking you to call you up to this life that's been offered to us. We've, we've received it. We have the spirit of God in us. It's good news. We should be full of joy. We should be full of kindness. We should be full of love. Does the way your manner of life is what your life is governed by, the decisions that you make, the rule of law that you walk by, your constitution, does it govern you in a way that's worthy of this gospel? Look at what the rest of this says. I mean, there's so many areas that we could talk about. Is the way that you treat your money, is it worthy of the gospel? Is the way that you treat your spouse or your friends or your business partners or your classmates, is it worthy of, worthy of the gospel? Is the way that you talk, is it worthy of the gospel? Is, is your pur purity and your sexual life, is it worthy of the gospel? And we could talk about all that, but we don't have time. I would invite you to let the Holy Spirit talk to you about those issues. Because when we walk in the way that he's invited us to, it's life for us too. But I just wanna briefly touch on what Paul is talking about. He says, nevertheless, whatever happens, I only want you to focus on this. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that when I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I felt so pressed by the Lord this week to ask you, how is your unity? Me and my wife were having a conversation. She knew nothing of what I was preaching on this week. And of all the millions of issues that we all know exist right now, we now have to re-talk about them again. There's issues. She said to me this week, she said, you know, one of the things that bothers me the most about this season is how it feels like everybody's just mad at each other. Even believers. And you know what? We could preach about all the other issues all day long, and we have and we probably will, but tonight, I just wanna ask you, how are you pursuing unity? Let me show you why it's of the, of the utmost importance. In John 17, if you can go to the next. In John 17, we have Jesus' longest recorded prayer. This is just a portion of it. He prays for his disciples, the specifically the 12, and then he prays, it says, for all of those who will believe through their message, that's all of us, okay? That's all of us. Everybody that's ever gonna believe through the message of the disciples, that's every believer throughout all of time. He says this, I pray that they would be one, 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. You get the point of what he's interested in? Now see this again. Notice that we have, we have twice a so that statement. So we know that Jesus is highly interested in us being one. And two, two times he says so that, which means if we are one, something's gonna be accomplished. If we are one, something else is gonna happen. Notice what it is. So that the world may believe that you have sent me and so that the world may know that you have sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Was he telling the truth? The answer is yes, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. Yep, that's Jesus there, yeah. Yep, no, he, he knows what he's talking about, right? So, so let us not be deceived that division in the church is going to be, if not the highest, one of the highest priorities for the evil one. Why? Because every church and every believer throughout all of time, if you boil it all down, what have we existed to do? Basically, reveal to the world who Jesus is and that God loves them. This is what we exist for. We are trying to convince this world that Jesus is really God, he came for you, and that God loves you. Isn't that not what we're doing? And so if that is the very thing that's gonna happen when we are one, why are we not more concerned with it? I'm on a number of different social media platforms, and on one particular one, I post videos all about the Bible, and um, people that are interested in the Bible comment, and a lot of people that aren't interested in the Bible comment, and sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's horrible, but either way, I, I, I time and time again see these comments from atheists, and they say, this is just so funny, you Christians fighting about all this stuff. And it's so sad to me. And hasn't it just been elevated in this season? We're fighting about masks. We're fighting about politics. We're fighting about this. We're fighting about that. We're fighting about whatever. We need to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, which is us standing in one spirit, side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, I know that this is a letter that's full of joy and I'm trying to be joyful and this is a joyful message, but I, it, ha I, it has to be serious. I have to say it to you straight because we are, I'm not gonna say failing, but, but what are we doing? We're, I don't think that we're succeeding yet, but we're on the way. And the only way that we're gonna keep growing is if every single one of us decides in our hearts that I'm gonna live my life in a manner worthy of this gospel by walking in unity with my brothers and sisters as best I can. So if nothing else tonight, I just wanna invite you to make one decision. 
I am gonna do everything that I can to live at peace and harmony and unity with other Jesus followers in this season, in my life. I could ask you to do a bunch of things. And I, I would hope that the Holy Spirit is asking you to respond in many ways that you would consider is my life worthy of the gospel and that you would make some changes, that I would make some changes. But if at the very least in this way, can we just decide I am no longer gonna get in an argument on Facebook with another believer, I'm gonna call them. I'm gonna talk it out. I, something. St. Augustine said this, unity in the essentials liberty in the non-essentials and love above all. Let me say that again. As believers, we have to have unity in the essentials. Like, do we believe that Jesus is the son of God? He died, buried, resurrected, raised from the dead, saved us from our sins, all those things. Yeah, that's essential. We, gotta, we, we agree on that. Otherwise, we're not actually brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we agree on the essentials, we gotta have a little grace and liberty with each other on the non-essential issues. There's been theologians debating things for thousands of years. We're not gonna settle many of those issues, you know, in one Facebook conversation. Love above all. And so I urge you, whatever happens, will you conduct your life in a manner worthy of the gospel? Just one more quote. I know I'm over time, but one more quote. I looked up the definition of politics according to the world that says this. The activities associated with the governance of a country or other area, especially, listen to this, the debate or conflict among individuals or parties having to or hoping to achieve power. The debate or conflict among individuals, that is what is happening out there in our political world. Same word, but our politics, our constitution is not primarily the Constitution of the United States of America. And our citizenship is not primarily the citizenship of the United States of America. We can, we can totally honor that. Of course, we follow our Constitution, but that's second. Our Constitution is the Word of God, and our citizenship is in heaven first, and our King is Jesus, and He holds supreme authority over our life above all. Amen? Would you stand to your feet with me? I just wanna give you an invitation and then we're gonna receive communion together. If you would bow your head and close your eyes just right where you're at, I just have to ask you, if you're here in this place, I know I've been talking fast and, and speaking about all kinds of things, but you might be new to church, you might be new to this message and, and I don't know, maybe somebody brought you and I don't know, maybe you don't know what to think. But let me just let you know, this is, this is the good news. The life that Jesus has invited us into is the only life to live. It will cost you. It will cost you your life. It will cost you your freedom. It will cost you your selfishness. It will cost you your flesh. But you will receive life eternal and abundant life in exchange. And so just to give you a moment of privacy, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes, I wanna give the people around you a moment of privacy too. So I just wanna ask you, and I'm not asking your neighbor, I'm asking you. If you don't know that you know that you know that you're walking in right and restored relationship with Jesus, you can know that right now. You don't earn it, you can't earn it. You've sinned and you've been separated from God. We all have at one point in time. But by repenting and turning back to God and receiving him in faith, confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart, we can be saved. And so I just wanna ask if there's anybody here 
you would say, that's me. I wanna come home and I wanna invite Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Would you just raise your hand high in the air? I wanna lock eyes with you. Is there anybody in the room? Just, if you could look at me too, I wanna look at you. I see you, sister. Greatest decision you could ever make. Keep your hand up until I can see you. Is there anybody else? Anybody else in the back? Sister, greatest decision you could ever make. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Is there anybody else? We got two sisters that were welcome into the family of God. Come on, let's celebrate. This is what I want to do with you. I want to pray with you right now because it's important that we confess with our mouth. And just so you know that you're not alone, everybody around you is going to pray this with you. And then in in a moment, Pastor Stephen's going to come up here and he's going to lead us in communion, which is a beautiful thing for believers to participate in as a sign of unity. You ever thought about that word? Communion, it's our common union. Hey, but if you raise your hand, will you pray this with me? Even if you didn't raise your hand and for the whole church, let's pray this together. Jesus, tonight I recognize you as my Savior and Lord. I confess that I've sinned. I've turned from you. But tonight I repent and I come home and I invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill my life. I give my heart to you. Would you lead me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together for them one more time.